It's good that we can. It's good that we can uh, come together like this. And, uh, we don't know how many opportunities we still have. So I want to try to make use of the opportunity best I can by God's grace. Uh, I was thinking of that Psalms 131. I'm sorry, not 131, 103. Psalms 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thy iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercy. Now when we stop and we just kind of meditate on those verses, there's so much there, right there, that uh, shows us how great and wonderful uh, and good God is. And uh, I, I guess it's just a reminder to me how we can go through life and kind of forget those things. Just kind of look, uh, take uh, everyday experiences, and things we face, and not think about it. But, uh, and I was thinking about something. Now, you might not be uh, so much interested in hearing what I'm going to say, but uh, people have different interests uh, that are neither uh, necessary or not, not something we shouldn't do, you know. We just naturally have different interests. Some people... And that's, what, that's kind of what makes the world function. If everybody would be a carpenter and want to be a carpenter, uh, I don't know, uh, a lot of things would get undone, you know. Or if everybody would be a computer science, the same thing. I mean, it's good that God put in the heart of each one of us something that we love to do and take interest in and succeed, you know. That's good because that makes things function good in the community, in the country, and all throughout the world. You know? But um, what I what I was thinking about uh, and you I'm sure some of you know all this, even though you may not spend any time on it. But 
we are in a crisis uh, in the Senate about getting Trump impeached or not, you know. And maybe none of you follow any of that. But anyhow, the thing is, the way things are, like I was telling my wife and Anne on the way up here, uh, there's the Democrats and the Republicans. Each have their opinion about what ought to be, you know. Anyhow, but they treat it as though God's not in the picture almost. Mm. <laughs> but nothing happens without God. Trump was not put in there as president without God having decided that he wanted that. Mm -hmm. And think about what it must be like to fight against that. And to be unhappy about that. Because it didn't go the way I want it to be. And that can go be, be experienced in many different levels. On down to the guy who doesn't do much more than have a garden, you know, and try to produce food for himself and his family. If things don't go the way I want it to be, then I'm unhappy. And that's a terrible kind of thing to <coughs> be plagued with. So, um, the more we can come to where we can just say, well, God's in charge. God's in charge. We're not going to fret. We're not going to worry about it. Uh, you know, he loves us. That's what we need to dwell on. The fact that God loves us. God chooses <coughs> us. God works with us. He's trying to help us to overcome self. That's what he's doing with me, I'll say. And what if God would just go along his way and ignore me, you know? But what's so amazing that the amount of people and the vastness of the countries and everybody, uh, it's like, how can God keep track of everything? Yeah, that, that's, we might as well forget trying to figure that one out. <laughs> and a lot of other things we might as well forget. Where did God come from? Well, forget that one. <laughs> you know, it's just so much. So then, what shall I then occupy my mind with? i got to occupy my mind with becoming Christ-like and pray for God to work in it, work in such a way to help me to overcome self in all its different forms of behavior. Now, I have, I've been reading some books that really touch my heart and help me to see, um, then I say books, pamphlets, maybe, just pamphlets. And um, there's things in my life that I, God wants to touch and help me to overcome. But if, let's say, I just have a, 
relaxed uh, attitude that oh everything's fine with me there's no problem everything's fine with me we can go to extremes either way really we can be pressed down so much because there's so much wrong with me which is also true but then there has to be the other side understood that I have somebody who's wanting to help me. I have somebody that's working to show me things that I need to see. So, one night this week, I, I woke up in the middle of the night, and it seemed like a weight on my heart. Something isn't right with me. And I don't know if anybody, the rest of you have those struggles or not, but it's like, uh, probably do if you're normal people you know. <laughs> uh, like am I, is God pleased with me or not and the, and the weight comes on us and then uh, finally I got out of bed and I went downstairs and I prayed God I want to know what this is uh, give me something to read to help me see what it is I went to the bookshelf and I went through my books. I looked at so many books. And finally I got one that said, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, they will not hear if someone rises from the dead. But will you hear this, it said. Mm. <laughs> and I looked in there and it was a story about a man who thought he was so right and he, he was so zealous to be pleasing to God and he thought he was probably the most holy person around does that seem strange we're probably more like that than we think mm. we, if we can see what's wrong with everybody else we probably are in that category mm. so I, I read what happened to this man he was uh, you've heard of people that came out of their, were taken out of their body and they were showing hell. Well, that's what this man, what happened to this man. And um, he, he went on this wide road. I, mean, I, can't, I can't repeat everything exactly how it was anymore. But he went to the point where he saw uh, heaven. And he saw a pile of clothes, clothes there that people left because when they went to heaven, they got a white gown they put on, a, a body-length gown that they all wore. And he, he saw Jesus and he asked Jesus, uh, he said, I want to go in. Can I go in? And Jesus said, no, you can't go in. There's sin in your life. And uh, so he told him what those were, and it hit home on me. The same things that I see I have to deal with. It was being irritable, uh, lack of self-control. And, you know, I think, well, you know, I have self-control. I'm not that irritable. But when it really, what really spoke to me is the four things that he said in that pamphlet 
about this man were things I saw that I needed more help in. Mm -hmm. And the thing of it is, I don't even know where that book came from. I don't remember anybody ever giving me that booklet. Mm -hmm. It was like, God answered my prayer. Mm -hmm. He didn't take me out of this body and take me there to show me the same thing. But he took somebody else's experience to help me see this. And so it was with another book that I read. Uh, foolish talking and jesting is something that uh, was pointed out to me in reading that booklet. And I, I read the scripture where it reads, it's right in with the other gross sins. And I let not once be named among you as become a saint. So that's just my testimony this morning. I don't have a lot of things I want to tell you except this. Let's beg God, show me before the end of my life if there's something going to hinder me. If there's anything in my life that needs to change before I'm ready to leave this earth, I want it. Know it, Lord. Search me and try me, David said, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and so on. It's very important to be serious about this matter. There's, there was more to the booklet that I read, too. You know? And I'll just, I'm not going to try to cover all that. But it was really good, really good for me. May God help us all to make it there. We miss heaven. We miss that glorious place where Jesus is. We've missed it all. There ain't nothing on this earth. Reputation. My reputation. You know, we don't want to admit to things because it has it touches my reputation or what people think of me. But what it, one thing it said in that booklet that those people that went to hell are completely honest with why they went there. There's no more, there's no more covering up or hiding or anything, but it's too late. There were four people brought up and they were told, they told this lady, and the, the, this booklet contained that too, they told this lady why they went to hell. They just couldn't humble themselves and admit. Uh, one, one preacher went to hell and he he was he was exhorted by a, a prophet. It says a prophet, I don't know. Uh, or, what, what all that means, a prophet in our day, you know. But somebody had a prophecy that he's not fulfilling uh, in his church what God is asking us to do. But he said, but how did he say it? I, I'm, I'm the, the leader of this church. I'm like the boss here, you know. That wasn't the word he used. But that was why he went to hell, mm -hmm. because he stood firm on the, I'm like the boss here, you know.
think my dad taught me this way, and I believe this way, and I'm going to do it this way, and I'm the boss here. That's all it took. So, really, really, uh, it's really important to be humble and have one goal in life, and that as that I can be able to hear from God everything about myself. It's not so much about everybody here. Every, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's about me. This is my life. This is my opportunity. And when that is finished, it's over. So I want to use the opportunities God gives me. I know I'm getting old. And we all are heading that way. Let's use the opportunities that God gives us. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> the book of Daniel, chapter 2. Chapter 2. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 44. This is where King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and none of his wise men can interpret it. And he gets so angry he wants to kill all of them. And then the Lord gives the answer to Daniel, and Daniel goes and he tells the king what the dream was and what it meant. And so, it says in verse 44, finishes up the interpretation, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, bronze, clay, and silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this or in the future. The dream is certain, and his interpretation is sure. And then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face prostrate before Daniel and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. And the king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him great, many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the province of Babylon chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. So we see here King Nebuchadnezzar's astonishment that Daniel is able to tell him what the dream was as well as interpret it. And that God was telling him it was going to happen in the future. Through the history of the world in the future. The different kingdoms that would rise and fall. And that at the end of it, that God would raise up a kingdom that would be eternal. And you see 
Nebuchadnezzar's response, he bows down prostrate, lays prostrate on the ground before, fall, fell on his face before Daniel, laying on the ground before him. There's a king laying, laying down before, uh, you know, an exile, someone in exile, Daniel. He was an exile of Israel. And there he is in Babylon, a prisoner. And Nebuchadnezzar bows down before him. He offer all. He commands that incense to be offered to Daniel. That's something they offer in in their pagan worship. They offer to the God, their false gods. He's treating Daniel like he was a god, and he and he prays the God of Daniel. Truly, your God is the God of gods. Of course, his theology is all messed up, but at least he recognizes that. But unfortunately, and we just covered this a few weeks ago, in the next chapter, he sets an image of himself up and he commands all people to worship him. And we had the whole thing of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that whole, that whole story. So although he acknowledged all that, he continued on. And what kind of a person sets up an image to himself and commands people to worship him or he'll kill them? The pride and all the you know, all the corruption inside this man. In the next um, in chapter uh, chapter 4 But at the end of chapter 3, in verse 29, he says, Therefore I make a decree. This is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. We read this about the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego incident. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses made an ash heap. And there is no other God who can deliver like this. So he's beginning to know some stuff about this God as he sees what's going on. But then as we get into chapter 4, he tells another story. Chapter 4 and verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house, flourishing in my palace, and saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts of my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore I issued a decree in Babylon to all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. And the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, soothsayers came in. I told them the dream, but they could not make to me known its interpretation. But at last Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the Spirit of the Holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying... You notice, before we go on, he still refers to God's being multiple. The God of Daniel, and he says he named Daniel after his God. So the God of Daniel was not the God of Nebuchadnezzar. 
He still was holding on to that, even after writing on this. But he says, verse 9, he speaks to, Bel uh, to Daniel, calls him Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen in its interpretations. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, its height was great. The tree grew strong and became great and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, the birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. And I saw in the visions of my head while I was on the bed, there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said, Chop down the tree, cut off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beast get out from under it, and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and the roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the, in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts of the, on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the heart of the beast. And let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers, and the sentence by the word of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whoever he wills, and sets over it the lowest of men. It was interesting this morning that Dan was referring to our current president and how God appointed him there. God appoints an authority whosoever he wills. You can vote all you want, but God in the end has the final word. God is the one who puts one in authority and holds them accountable whether they do good or evil with that authority. And of course, in the present time is a very troubled man who sits in the White House. A lot of things being accused of him all over the place. But that's not for us to concern ourselves with. You see that God confronted a man who was king and a great king of the earth, one of the greatest civilization of his time. He was the greatest. But God said in there. And he didn't recognize that. And you know, this is a story about a man who God was trying to send a message to. Last week we talked about how God is speaking, and yet he could be speaking and speaking. We're not hearing what he's saying. Sometimes if we're not in the right place. God was saying something to Nebuchadnezzar here, but he was not in a place where he could hear. And acknowledge that what was being told him was true. God, it says, the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whoever he wills and sets over it the lowest of men. He was being told, 
You didn't just put yourself here. God put you here. And he puts people in authority for the law. And he doesn't explain what he means by low. We can kind of imagine what he means by, what God means by that. The lowest of men. Verse 18, this dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belshazzar, declare its interpretation. Since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make it known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. This is something that's really troubling and that God gave him. He doesn't know what it means. What does it mean? Calls on Daniel. Daniel interpreted something no one else could interpret before it. And so, <clears throat> we go to uh, verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree or the law of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King. They shall drive you from men, your dwelling place shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like an ox. They shall wet you with dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whoever he chooses. And inasmuch... <clears throat> as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots of the tree. Your kingdom shall be assured to you after, after you come to know that God or heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins or repent of your sins by becoming righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there be a, may be a lengthening of your prosperity. God was speaking to this man who was walking in his pride. And he was hardened, his heart was hard to the message that Daniel was bringing here. Daniel tells him to repent. He tells him, if you don't repent, you're going to put out in a field. You're going to lose your mind. He says, you you're going to have a heart of a beast with a field. You're going to lose your mind. You're going to go crazy. You're eating grass. You're going to be grazing with the animals. You're going to be living out in the field. You're not even going to live in your own house. You're going to be driven. They shall drive you from men. And your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. Speaking this to the greatest king of the earth at that time. Mighty man. What does King Nebuchadnezzar do about this interpretation? And it doesn't say here at this time what King Nebuchadnezzar's response was to Daniel. It doesn't say that he bowed down to him or offered him incense or anything else. Uh, it says in verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, that's a year, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. And the king spoke 
Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? God didn't put me here. I put myself here. I did all this. They said that the city of Babylon during the time of King Nebuchadnezzar was one of the seven wonders of the world. It's talked about in ancient history. They call it one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So it was supposedly a very impressive and glorious city from the man's perspective. And so he's boasting about himself. God gave him a whole year to repent. And apparently, this was mulling over in him, and, he's, and all this stuff comes out of his mouth. Ain't I great? This is my might, my power. Lord. It sounds like he was arguing against this dream. Again, apparently, this was, he was bothered by this and annoyed by it. Isn't this my city that I built with my mighty power and my great majesty and glory? And, and then the judgment came. He was giving glory to himself, and judgment came. Verse 31, while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like an ox. And seven times shall pass over you until you know, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whoever you choose. It's not that he didn't hear the word, it's that he didn't believe it. And that very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men, ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair and had grown like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird's claws. You know, it's hard for us to relate with something like this happening to somebody. Somebody losing their mind and being put out in the field like a cow. Losing their mind. Losing their majesty and all their glory. And being completely and totally humiliated. But Jesus said something that you can think about here. There's a couple things that are said in the New Testament that kind of give us a little light for today, for us walking as Christians today. Jesus said, Any, I am the vine and you are the branches. Any branch in me that bears fruit, my Father is going to do something to that person. He's going to prune them so they'll bear more fruit. Do you know what pruning is? Pruning is cutting away at a tree or a vine so there'd be less tree or vine or bush and more fruit, better quality fruit, larger fruit. And God, Jesus said that God the Father is at work in our life. Pruning a tree, something something I do in my job, my, my business, is like amputation. You study what a tree goes through. You're cutting an open wound. 
And if you watch what happens over the course of time, after you cut that wound, cut that tree, that, that branch, then it begins to grow a skin over it. It closes up and heals it up. That's an open wound. And Jesus said that the Father prunes us. He cuts away at us. And he makes us smaller in some respect. God resists the proud, it says in the book of James, but gives grace to the humble. In order to hear from God, in order to grow as a Christian, it has to be like John the Baptist said. He must increase, I must decrease. Less of me in order to be more of Christ. And so this is a process. Not, it's not openly extreme most of the time like what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Although people have gone to hospitals and sanitariums and places like that before God was able to reach them and humble them. But in order to hear from God some of the things he's saying and understand them, not just hear them, but understand them, to be in a place to understand them, he puts us through this process of pruning. If you bear fruit, that's a good thing. But he's going to do something that's going to bear more fruit, larger fruit, better quality fruit. And what is that? He's going to wound us by cutting away at us. When I say us, I mean our old way. Our old way of thinking. Our way of doing. <coughs> Why? To bear better fruit. To be like Christ. We were talking today about being like Christ. And that's what he does. So there'll be less and less and less of Ron. More of Christ. That's what he's doing now. And when we're going through that process, maybe we don't understand it. Certainly Nebuchadnezzar didn't. He lost his mind. But after the process is over, he's like, ah. Verse 34. And at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. It says He was like this for seven times. How much is seven times? It's not explained. Seven days? Maybe more than that. It says his hair grew to the point it looked like eagle's feathers and his, his nails grew to look like bird's claws. Seven months? Seven weeks? Seven years? We don't know. But all we know it was, it was long enough to humble King Nebuchadnezzar. And his statement, I bless the Most High. And praised and honored him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. 
He does according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can restrain His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles returned to me, and I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven, all of whose works are truth, and his ways are justice, and those he walk in pride, he was able to put down, including him. And so, the Bible says all that's in the world is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And God deals with us to prune this stuff away from us. Because it interferes with us bearing better fruit, more fruit, to be more like Christ. There's things that interfere with that. A couple were mentioned this morning, irritability. Impatience, harshness, bad temper, unreasonableness. All the works of the flesh that are mentioned in Galatians. They interfere with bearing good fruit, better fruit, more fruit. God wants to make us, he said you're bearing good fruit, that's good. Now we're going to make you bear more fruit. I'm going to put you through a process. And it's painful. <clears throat> what would it feel like if you had a fingertip cut off? I mean, we know people who had their fingertips cut off. Uh, Eugene Ellerby is one of those others that we've known that have lost a finger. Kate's brother lost a finger in, in, at his work. What does that feel like? It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. Pruning hurts. But they say that from what I read about plant life and trees and shrubs, that it it is traumatic when there's pruning done to plant life, to trees and things like that, shrubs. So what it means is that God is going to bring us through different things. He's going to allow certain things to come through his protective hedge that he has around each of us. To reason with us. To prune us. Yes, it's painful. But it has a purpose. And what is that pruning? Life. Things that happen in life. In this world we have tribulation. Joseph, when he revealed himself to his brothers, he says... The evil that you did to me, you meant for evil. But God meant it for good. God's purposes were realized in all of it. All things work together for good. To those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Nebuchadnezzar. You go take a, take a look in the history books. You can Google them. King, King Nebuchadnezzar or whatever. And see... How the history books talk about the magnificence of King Nebuchadnezzar. Great man, great king of the ancient world. Great city, great army, great conquests. And God 
made him like a cow eating in the field. He humbled him to show him a message. And so God is speaking to us, like we said last week, day by day, minute by minute. Wisdom cries out in the streets. All of creation, the sound of all creation, the line goes out to all the earth. No language or tongue where it's hidden from. And yet, not everybody hears it. Matter of fact, the majority don't get it. But God, when we come to Christ and we become one of his children, he's speaking to us. And if we're not, you know, Nebuchadnezzar heard the word. He got the message and was told to repent. But he wasn't willing to repent. He was holding on to certain things. His pride and his glory and his majesty. Now I did this all for myself. And God said, okay. I'm going to rip it all away from you. You're going to go out in the field. You're going to eat grass. You're going to lose your mind for seven times. A period of time until you recognize what I'm saying and do something about it. And he did. And finally, you didn't hear him saying, it's not this great Babylon that I have built for my royal, my royal dwelling and my might and my power. You don't hear him saying that after that. No, he got the message all right. Yeah. And so, if God is bringing us through the valley of turmoil, it's okay. It's okay. It's going to be okay. He's got to change us and continue to prune us and continue to change us. These are the prunings. In the, in the travail and the turmoil of life. These are the things that he's using to prune us. And at the end, we get after the, the process for that particular thing is finished, we get it. If we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, he will lift us up in due time. A process that he puts us through that we talk about often. When I think about what Jesus put his disciples through before uh, before they became, before Jesus' ascension into heaven and they were uh, to go forth and preach the gospel, everything that they went through during that time, how how Jesus, how many times did he rebuke Peter or the other disciples? James and John wanted to call fire down from heaven. Jesus said, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of. You don't know what this is all about. I come to destroy people. I came to save them. All their ideas that they had, you know, and God had to bring them to a place. Look what happened to Peter. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to fight and die with you if I have to. And, you know, I'll never deny you. I'll die first and everything else. Just, Boldly making bold proclamations. But what happened over the course of time was that Jesus took these hand-picked men and exposed them for what they really were. 
you know. Peter was brave in certain ways, but then he turned into this coward at, at a certain point. You know, different ones, you know, he revealed the truth about them. Doubting Thomas, the hardness of heart, refusing to believe. They all refused to believe. Jesus told them what was going to happen ahead of time. God had to bring them through a process until they came to the point where he was ready that when they were ready for the ministry, ready for to bear the, the fruit that he had chosen for them and the ministry he had chosen for them. We read about, many times we've talked about what God, the process God put Moses through. In the end, Nebuchadnezzar got it. But it took the turmoil that he had to go through to get the message. Because he was not in a place where he could hear and accept what God was saying and embrace it. He heard it. He wasn't willing to accept and embrace it. We hear the word of God. But maybe there's areas in our life where we're resisting him. And when Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar after he interpreted the dream to repent, he had the opportunity to repent right there. He refused. We can avoid some of these things that God brings us through. If we humble ourselves, and lay aside our pride, lay aside the things that we're holding that we should let go of, whatever they may be, to give ourselves fully to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to humble ourselves, then He will lift us up. We can either humble ourselves or we can be humbled. Any brothers want to comment on that or anything else? Any brothers want to share? I was reading verse 34 that you were reading out of chapter 4, where Nebuchadnezzar says that at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever just struck me that you know all of us having you know drifted away from God in our walk how our minds are darkened as we drift and we don't understand the things of God because we're separating ourselves from God during that period of time and you know God is so patient and kind and he's so committed to this relationship that we have you know that we have with him through through our proclamation of faith and and our salvation from the beginning and his promise to continue to work in us but you look at what happens when he gets 
you, you know, allows you to go to these places that, like Nebuchadnezzar, where everything is just darkened and you are, you are desperately, you know, a, a, alone, away from God. But when you raise your head back to him, when he said, he said, and I, I lifted my eyes to heaven, when he, when he returned his, his focus back on God, immediately understanding returned to him, you know, and how, how precious God, I mean, he's so, I mean, for all of us, I, I know I speak for all of us who serve him, when we've had those moments and we've been so desperate, you know, so grieved at where we have ended up, but we finally yield and humble ourselves and turn back to God He's so gracious. He's so gracious. And that's one thing that we need to remember and we need to remind each other of. And we, we need to remind those amongst us who are, who are struggling now and who are straying. Because that condemnation that, that goes with you, that, and that, you know, that causes arrogance even. I, I, don't, I don't understand the dynamic. I see it, but the, the more we go away from God and Satan, you know, is invigorated around us, he, he stirs us up to more, to more arrogance rather than humility. It takes, it takes God allowing things to go to their lowest point and, 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 you know, and still preserve us in it so that we can get to that place where our desperation for him returns and when we turn back he's right there to forgive <clears throat>